1: What's up? Welcome back to the Barton and Bud podcast. Uh, we are inching ever closer to a season. We are holding our breaths, keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, we are above 500 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for that. A mailbag will be forthcoming. Uh, Bud, what do you think, man? How are we doing? Dude, I'm, I'm doing well. I Hey, I don't need five conferences to play. I,
0: I just need three and... However many games they get in, whenever they start, I'm I'm good with it.
1: Just give me some kind of football to watch in the fall, and uh, I don't want to be greedy. But if we get if we get fall season and spring season, like that is that like maybe that's even better. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's being a little bit. um, It's not bad. That's not a bad deal if we can pull that off. Right now, I'm skeptical we can pull that off. I think it's it's going to be hopefully hopefully both. But more likely, one or the other or neither. Um, but man, two seasons would be pretty
0: dope. What what odds would you put on on teams being able to pull off a spring season? Because
1: after you say it, I'm going to tell you what the odds are in those offshore books. So the question is, what are the odds that there will be <clears throat> power five programs that complete a, a some sort of spring season? Is that some some sort of
0: yeah that that, that play a season in spring?
1: Um. I would say I would say uh less than 40%. Cool. So Big 10's
0: odds currently 15%, Pac 10's or uh, Pac 12 odds 10%. Yeah. Uh, on now of course far away places we're not going to endorse those those folks cuz they don't actually you know pay to sponsor the show but we're kind of on the same page. A, l- a little bit of side-eye skepticism here to this idea that the Big 10 and Pac 12 are just going to you're just delay by five months and, and play the spring a lot of so
1: here's the thing and we'll we'll talk about this because there's a either on this show or the next show there's a there's some mailbag questions that get into this a little bit but it, the the odds for that change depending on to me depending on what happens in the fall if there's like a 10-game fall season then the like the necessity the appetite the links that teams will go presidents conferences will go to, to get a season in, in the spring, I think go up dramatically because the, a, a, you have proof of concept, you have proof you can get through it. And B you have you, you, just from like a revenue standpoint, from a optic standpoint, you just, you have to do something. And so I think that that, you know, a lot depends on sort of what happens here uh, over the next few weeks. And, and then obviously the, the, the other side of it is, if there is no season in the fall, I think the I think the odds go down that there's a season in the spring. I, I, I completely agree with you on that. I I think that
0: that makes a lot of sense. All right, so got a couple things to talk about today, man. Like we said, we did get to 500. In our next episode, we'll actually be getting to our listener appreciation uh, mailbag show. But we we had had a lot of news this past week, and I don't know that we need to get into that mailbag just yet. We we, we can break into some of this news. Uh, one of which you wrote about yesterday and got it out before any other media outlets have to give you credit on that one. Saw a couple other people with the same takes today, but uh, we we were first and the best of course, Quinn Ewers best quarterback probably since Trevor Lawrence kid from Austin commits to Texas and and then some dominoes start to fall there.
1: Yeah. uh, Highest rated since Trevor Lawrence um, at the, at the early at, you know, at this early stage. And so, the, the the commitment was so t- class twenty twenty two number one player in the country Quinn Ewers um, put up in obscene statistics as a sophomore a guy that I think we expect to be you know is is, is very much like not a not a reluctant number one sometimes early in the rankings you, you you sort of there's a placeholder that goes in there Quinn Ewers is no placeholder Quinn Ewers is a emphatic number one prospect he has a resume he has pedigree he has. Um, ability, production, like whatever you want to call it, um, and he commits to Texas. And I think the that my immediate response it, it was just being so. Um, I think comp- like the 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 positive indicators that that represents for the future of Texas football, given what's already on the campus, I think was really encouraging. Um, I, I talked about you know look. Texas football was at its peak in 2005, I guess it was, uh, with Vince Young under center. Colt McCoy came next. Um, They were, you know, obviously played for national championships, won a national championship, and then there was this, like, quarterback malaise, and it was just uh, average quarterback after average quarterback, all highly regarded. But none of those guys were five-star guys. And so they made some bad choices, bad spec, you know, offense didn't click, whatever. I think things started to turn when Shane Buchel came and I was in that Sterling Gilbert offense and there was just a little bit more moxie to him, like a little more confidence there. They still went five and seven that season, his true freshman year, but it was just, it felt a little different at quarterback. Sam Ellinger comes, basically beats him out. Uh, Sam Ellinger has been a very productive, efficient, reliable quarterback for several years, put them on stable footing. And now I think with him going into his last year, NFL guy, potentially, uh, someone that I think you have trust can take you wherever you want to go. And then behind him, you've got Casey Thompson. You, you just recruited two top 100 commits in Hudson Card and Jaquinda Jackson. Hudson Card all, already getting really positive reviews in, in, in preseason practices. My, my assumption here is you're going to have a good year of Sam Ellinger. You're going to have Hudson Card stewarding the program forward and, or, or Jaquinn and Jackson, who has probably a higher ceiling than any of them. But one of those guys steps forward and is really good. If Casey Thompson's the guy, then he's just beat out two really good players. So there, there's a, we're, we're, we're pursuing a pretty productive and, and uh, confidence-inspiring line of succession. And then you get Quinn Ewers coming in. Class of 2022, he'll arrive in, what, two years. Whenever he arrives, he's going to be ready to play as a true freshman. And if he has to sit for a year, he's sitting in the same way Trevor Lawrence sat or in the same way DJ Uyangalele is setting, sitting this year or Bryce Young at Alabama could be sitting this year. He's sitting only because of what's really good in front of him. And then with Quinn Ewers under center, like you've got a national championship ceiling. And so I, I think Texas has one of the best, better, more – More, uh, one of the better, deeper quarterback rooms in the country this year. And I think with the Quinn Ewers commitment, Texas has one of the best quarterback succession plans in college football. And if you want to be back, which is always the conversation with Texas, quarterback is the way, is the place to start it. And again, I I don't think Quinn Ewers is a guy that we look up in two years and, and we're like, well, uh, we had him a little high. We overshot him a little bit. He's, uh, he's met, met yes or no. Like he's a, he's legit. And, and Texas has got him locked in.
0: I have so many thoughts on Texas now. And, and I think one of the things this show does well is under explain the nexus of football and recruiting and, and why it matters and not just drill down on, on the minutia of, of the recruit, although occasionally we do that, but man, this does change my opinion of the Texas program of the future of Tom Herman's tenure. I, I, and I don't think I'm overreacting here. Like you said, we don't think he's going to be a guy that we're going to be missing on for having him at number one. If we miss on him, it might be because he should have been like number 10. You know, he's, yeah. I don't think this kid's going to bust. I've been openly skeptical on this show of Texas deciding to, to make two changes at coordinator after last year. I thought last year was a year that they should have forecasted would have been a bit of a sort of maintain the gains at best year. From their nice 2018 that they had. I, I thought they lost way too much off that 18 team to take another step. I thought they would take a step in 20 in in this given year. Uh, and I think we both agreed that at the time, would they have made changes at the coordinator positions had they known the COVID offseason was coming? Because it's certainly difficult to install new schemes on both sides of the ball. Uh, but man, your article that you nailed it, that their, their succession plan at quarterback now. If Quinn Ewers doesn't come in and start for them immediately, that very likely means that some of the, one of these other guys, these four star guys that they signed, has hit in a big way. Whether that's, that's Hudson Card or, or Thompson or whomever, that's great news for Texas and Tom Herman. I mean, you have it, it, there's no guarantees. But if you if you put a lot of kind of 95, 90, 80, 75% shots together and stack them up your chance that you're going to hit and have a really good quarterback is, is excellent. And if you have a really a difference maker quarterback in that league, Texas is one of those teams that can actually recruit enough speed on defense to give themselves a fighting chance to play good defense in that conference. And it's crazy to me that a kid who's not going to play college football for, what, another 18 months, basically, can change my opinion on that. But I was kind of eh, unsure about Tom Herman there at Texas, and now I think I'm all in. Whoa! All in. That's well, okay. So, uh, I'm, I'm calling. I I want to I want to yes. see the river card.
1: I see. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I think I mean, to college football today is is so quarterback driven. It's so, like there is so there's such a um, there's levels of college football right now that are so defined by the quarterback position. Um, you got to have one to compete for a national championship that that is basically over the last about 6 years that has become a fact and if you don't have one you better get one transfer portal or otherwise um if you are a decent team a quarterback can elevate you to to good good to great great to national championship and and vice versa um and so uh, you know this doesn't this doesn't guarantee anything with with Texas but it certainly uh, you know there's just you know, it's funny to think about that Texas team and, and I know how that, that 2000, whatever the year that won the national championship was, um, 05. So that team was so good, so talented. And I know USC was really good too, but it took a pretty phenomenal effort from the number one player in the country to win that game. And I, I think that's where the margins are right now in college football. Um, you you know, if you don't have a dude that can put you on your shoulders in those big games, you you don't, you know, you're not you're just not going to be able to consistently win him.
0: Um and you mentioned six years ago, like you know, the last six national titles, all pretty much won by elite quarterbacks. I think we can go even even further back than this. What is the last non-Nick Saban team to win a national
1: title with just a decent quarterback? Um well, so <laughs> I mean, I can think of some like early two thousands was like Craig Krenzel and like Ohio Ken State. Dorsey, uh, at Miami, um, probably LSU to, seven with like yeah, Jerry Lee, couple. but they yeah. had
0: two losses. And I mean, look, we're not taking their rings away, but they weren't really a title quality team by most year standards. I, I wouldn't think given that they did have two losses and kind of a mediocre, mediocre year of college football. I mean, we, We've got a lot of data that says you have got to have a stud quarterback, unless you can be Nick Saban and oversign like crazy when you get there and do a lot of things that they'll eventually make rules to prevent other other coaches from doing because you're so smart and and you know resourceful. You got to have a stud quarterback, man.
1: Yeah. The the other and 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 like the thing that's interesting too to me is um, it it's it's okay to not like if you're like top, like a four-star kid coming in can, cannot not be that guy and can still be a really good player. But like the difference between that guy that you can, that can put a team on his back and you know, the, let's just call it like the top two, two or three quarterbacks in every, in, in every cycle or every, every college football season and everyone else, like the difference between those players I think is, is, is huge. And so that's not to say you can't have really good quarterback rooms and have really good play at the position and have a lot of consistent success, but winning a national title takes that dude. Um, I think Quinn yours is the other, the, the other fallout from, from this or the domino effect from it is the, the de- So, so, uh, a guy that was like minimizing my story was uh, Jalen Milrow. Who I didn't talk about a whole lot because I, I look. The reality is I kind of felt like he was going to be, um, ca- kind of caught up in the wash a little bit with with uh, Hudson Card in front of him and JaQuinden Jackson in front of him. Quinn Ewers coming in behind him. He's a class of twenty twenty one commit. Uh, and since that's Quinn Ewers' commitment, about forty eight hours later he decommits and commits to Alabama. Again, this is a four star kid. And this is where like, there's a difference between a, I don't know how I don't know what the best like catchy term for this is, but like there's an after the guy quarterback and a before the guy quarterback. And uh, Jalen Milroe is a after the guy quarterback in the sense that like that was, he's, he's talented, muscled up, athletic, strong arm kid you know, needs a little bit of nuance to his passing game needs to learn to, to control ball speed and things like that, but very talented, but he was going to be a little bit raw coming in. And when you're a little bit raw coming in and you got a good player, but in front of you and a good player coming in behind you, there's a very, you got to really, really thread the needle to, to find your opportunity. He instead goes to Alabama where he's after the guy, Bryce young, number one player in the country. So he leaves from, being recruited ahead of the number one player in the country to going where he's being recruited behind the number one player in the country. And I think that that is a great fit because then he goes and now he's he's not going to be asked to play right away. He's going to be able to sit for a couple years and probably needs to sit for a couple years behind Bryce Young. That's not to say he can't be really successful at SMU or or uh, uh, Indiana right out of the box. I'm just saying to play for national titles to someone like Alabama, it's going to be beneficial to him to sit for a couple years. And then when his time comes, then he, then he might be like that dude that, that Alabama needs or a national title contending team needs. And so it was interesting to see, and I don't know where that calculation came in for him, whether that was actually part of the deal, whether he was just like, you know what, uh, you know, I, I need, a, uh, I need the, to go to the biggest stage possible, whatever it is. But it makes a ton of sense from my perspective, both for him and for Texas, and for Alabama, because Alabama needs someone that's willing to step in behind Bryce Young as well, and that's a hard position to recruit to.
0: We we wrote about this too. It was it you or Charles who wrote about like the difficulty of getting the guy after the guy. Like it's hard if you sign a Bryce Young, if you sign a Deshaun Watson or or a Trevor, it's really hard to get the guy the next year and get somebody who's like extremely high quality. Like. Mm-hmm. It's just it, because people, they love to compete, right? I'm not afraid of anybody, but they also have common sense. And there's 130 schools in FBS, and there's maybe you know two or three guys a year who truly scare the elite kids. And I'm not saying Milrow is scared, but realistically here, like, it's hard to follow a guy like a Bryce Young. It's definitely hard to be in front of, of a Quinn Ewers. Uh, getting Milrow to, get, to go to Bama, that's a really good get for Alabama because like, he's still a prospect we like a lot. We, we think he's a good player. It, it's not like they're just getting just a, a placeholder. Now, he could end up being a placeholder if Bama goes out and signs a Quinn Ewers type prospect in the class of 2022, which I'm not certain that there is another one in that class. We, we just did the rankings you know, a couple of months ago. But this is a pretty solid get for them. But yet I do understand, especially like Milrose in Texas, Ewers is in Texas. Milroe's going to know how good Ewers is. And especially with him being a local kid there, the chance he comes in and starts
1: early is, I think, pretty good. Did you see where that commitment put Alabama in the team rankings? Are they number one now? They're number two. I think, last I checked, they're number two, but they are literally two points behind Ohio State for number one.
0: See, this is why we do the race for the number one article every single month with Steve Wilfong. Because even when it looked like Ohio State was going to win it, you know, by a million points, and the race was, we actually talked about one time, should we do the race for number two? I'm like, and hey, let's leave it for now. And and Wilfong agreed. And they they could pass Ohio State, man. Ohio State lost uh, to Mise, and Bama could pass them up. They only have one more commit than than the Buckeyes do. That Latham thing, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, really did kind of swing things.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think that you know we were back in April or whatever it was talking about Ohio State lapping the field and Alabama kind of needing to pick things up and Nick Saban's always got a plan.
0: Yeah, they're they they seem to know what they're doing, and he seems to be uh, you know re-energized. Also, over the weekend they did pick up Monkel Goodwine, uh, who's a, a fringe top one hundred player on, on the composite. Uh, we actually have him uh, at 218, but still a player we, we like a good bit. So yeah, he's, he's it,
1: actually a stock up guy. He had some new film come out recently that was uh, really good. Oh, nice! There we go.
0: Uh, I mean, their their edge rushing situation right now looking pretty solid. Dallas Turner, obviously very nice. That they they have they have Damon Payne. Um, they're they're looking good here, dude. That that defense is going to be going to be pretty nasty, and uh, I I can't wait. So it it is kind of fun to to use a, a commit and, and use it. Use uh, yours uh, to talk about a, a bit of a jumping off point here. I, d- does this change your opinion? I, I know I might have been bullish there. Does this really change your opinion on Tom Herman's chances of long term success there? Because we had kind of heard the rumblings like, how well does he get along with the administration? You know, he, we know he can rub people the wrong way. He had the whole flicking off the Longhorn network cameras <laughs> incident and some other stuff. Um,
1: does this how much more confident does this make you that he'll succeed there? I think. I think he's got to get to the 2022 season and that's not to say he's on the hot seat or anything of that nature, but I kind of want to see, I kind of want to see what happens this fall. I kind of want to see what happens, you know, cause this, this fall, he's got Sam Ellinger. He's got experience. He's got this, this roster that's been very highly recruited, highly regarded. The talent should be there. He's got Bijan Robinson, a running back and this, this, loaded crop of defensive backs that we've been you know that we ble- that we believed was really talented. Uh he's got Joseph Osai as an edge rusher and uh you know all these former top 100 receivers and it's like I mean they they should they should be in the Big 12 championship game this year. Um assuming that that goes down and if they're not then like again I think that he's still tearing on the edge and then what happened then you're at 2021 and you know, I, I think all of a sudden the pressure is on. So I, I'm still, I'm not like I still want to see how these new coordinators work out. Uh, Mike Yurcich and, and Chris Ash are are guys that could stabilize things a little bit. Um, but I guess I'm a little more in a wait and see approach. I do think if they can get to 2022, that's a good indicator of what they've accomplished to that point. And then you're then you're off and running with Quinn Ewers at your quarterback. That's a great point.
0: Yeah, if if he was going to be here in 21 that's that's different than if he was going to be here in 22. I got to tell you man, I am actually a little bit more bullish kind of week by week on Texas. So Oklahoma keeps having issues with with, with players on defense whether, whether it's a rest or or me realizing that somebody's going to miss uh you know the first month of the season with injury and
1: yeah, Oklahoma certainly is uh there, there's there's some vulnerabilities there. That yeah. we will have, you know, that, that I think that, but I, but it, the big, t- the nature of the big 12 is still one in which Oklahoma state's a threat. Iowa state's a threat. TCU's a threat. Like there, there's, there's still a, a tier of programs there that like Texas can't like it, When you look in the sec, I think that there's, there's Alabama, there's Georgia, there's um, Florida, there's LSU. Like there's sort of this, a M and Auburn. Ex- yeah. Yeah. A M and Auburn I are probably in there too. But like though I don't see any of those schools losing to a. I, will I I I'll I'll chop off AM and and, and Auburn, even though I, I am bullish on A&M. But like the others that I just mentioned, I don't see them losing to a Kentucky. I don't see them losing to a um an old miss or whatever. And sure. I could still see some of those quote mid tier teams in the Pac twelve like wrecking some shop in the standings, um, and and I don't know that that's like there's not the clear drop off that you see from Clemson and everyone else, from Ohio State, Penn State, and everyone else, or you know whatever that the top tier is like The the, the margins are thinner to me in the Big Twelve.
0: So I want to use what you just said as a jumping off point, but I want to ask you a question first, and we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and come back to this assuming the season gets played. Combined conference record of the two teams in the Big 12 title game over under three combined losses entering the Big 12 title game.
1: I would say, uh, over. I think there's going to be four losses in the Big 12 title game.
0: So maybe like a nine and one and then, and then a seven and three team
1: or That's, two or two, uh, teams. two eight and two teams. I, I kind of
0: agree with you. The other thing I want to point out here is that you mentioned, like, you don't see those teams in the SEC losing to a Kentucky or an Ole Miss or, or a South Carolina type team. And
1: I, even I agree, we did man. last year, which is I, a little bit, yeah, even though it was a ridiculous game. But we did see Georgia lose to South Carolina last this year. This is
0: true. This is true.
1: I had to put together
0: my win loss uh, totals for Brendan Marcello's piece, and also one I did with with with, uh, with Brad Crawford for the long forms we do together. And man, I I didn't have any five and five teams. In SEC play, and I'm sitting here thinking, God, this is this is dumb. There's going to be a five and five team. There's probably going to be a couple five and five teams. Like, how many conferences don't have anybody go five and five? And I think I only had like one or two teams going four and six or six and four. So, to your point, I I I think that the mid, the, like the middle tier of the Big Ten this year, is actually stronger than the middle tier. Or, excuse me, of the Big Twelve is probably stronger than, than the middle tier of the sec like the, the, the drop-off right yeah exactly because obviously like your seventh best sec team is 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 certainly better than your seventh best uh big 12 team but i i see the drop-off like after after you get down to auburn so if you have it bama georgia florida lsu a&m auburn i think there's a decent drop-off there to like tennessee kentucky old miss
1: yeah uh, well, I, I'm actually higher on Kentucky.
0: I love well, Kentucky I, too. I, I no, think they I think, can finish higher than Tennessee.
1: I think Kentucky is probably comparable to TCU, yeah. um, in terms of the like if you if you throw Kentucky in the into the, the, the Big Twelve, they're capable of beating anybody. They they're they're I capable so. of beating... I, I I think they are. Um, and I don't I don't know if the Big Twelve like wants to hear that but I, I think that's, I think that's a reality this year's Kentucky team. I, I just, I, I'm sort of hunchy about this year's Kentucky team. I think that they've got, I think their offensive line is, is nasty. Uh, I think that they've got uh, another really good defense. I think that Mark Stoops has those guys like playing with a chip on their shoulder every year. Um, I just think this team's pretty good. I agree with you. Actually, I, I, now I'm going
0: to jump off the Kentucky bandwagon when we start to put big-time expectations on them because I'm not convinced that they can do that. But I'm very convinced that Kentucky is very good at winning the game supposed to win. Kentucky is going to play hard week in and week out. I think Mark Stoops is a proven developer of talent. They don't recruit at that super elite level. Uh, I do think the offensive line job they've done there does prevent them from losing some games they shouldn't lose because they're not you know, having quarterback sack fumble type stuff and, and just totally off schedule with their offense and have to play – you know, second and thirteen type ball too often. It wouldn't shock me if they finished third in the East. It, it really wouldn't. Um, I, I I like Kentucky as a team that can consistently exceed mediocre expectations.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. You you start talking about them as a favorite in the in the East, then yeah, the, the the conversation probably changes a little bit.
0: So uh, when we come back, we're actually going to talk a little bit more. About Kentucky, but also about who we voted for in our combined CBS Sports 24 7 Sports All America team, which is pretty awesome, and a little fantasy draft we had, and and maybe some implications for the season. So when we get back from our break, that's what we'll hit up. All right, man, big big content week for us uh, over at 247sports.com. We had a fantasy draft that we did late last week. We put, put that up on Tuesday. I think you – what you have, four picks? I, I had four picks. We, we, we can hit that up. We can talk about the voting that we had to do for the All-America team, which will come out, I believe, on Thursday. It's combined CBS Sports, 24-7 Sports, All-America team. And I got to tell you, like, this was – this was not that easy. It, it – I know we talked about on our brainstorm call. This probably took a solid hour to make sure you weren't missing anybody. And um, where do you want to go first? You want you want to go fantasy draft, or or you want to go all America team?
1: Let's go. uh, Let's go fantasy draft first.
0: So format here: Big Twelve or Big Ten and Pac twelve. Obviously, canceled their season or moved it to spring or whatever you want to call it. And uh, we said let's draft these guys off their team on to Big 10 or excuse me uh, Big 12 SEC and ACC teams 20 total picks five drafters each of us get four picks snake draft format uh, you cannot give more than one player to a team so like bama is not eligible to get three players uh, draft order was whatever you wanted you wanted it to be so if you were up first like josh pate was up first he's like I want to pick for texas am and with texas am I'm going to take justin fields of ohio state so basically that's how it went but you could take multiple players off of one team, uh, like Ohio State, and they indeed did. They had, uh, I think, Ohio State had five guys taken off. So, um, I think that exercise is pretty useful in showing us, like, just how talented some of these teams that are not going to be playing in the fall really were. And there's a reason Ohio State was the, the co-favorite to win the national title.
1: Also, it's I think it's a, it's a helpful exercise in in sort of identifying what the the, the missing pieces are for some of the other teams that are playing um i had a couple of favorite picks um
0: do you want to do you want to run it down or you want to just get into our favorites or, or the ones we did you're, we can run it. we you want to run it top to bottom we can do that all right so just real quickly here uh josh pate gave uh justin fields to texas a&m and then barton simmons that's my co-host here Sean Wade to Notre Dame, great pick there. Charles Power gave Jaden Daniels to LSU. Not buying it. Not buying in fully to the Miles Brennan hype. It appears
1: that's my first. That's that is my first uh, on on the list of favorite picks. Okay. Because when you think about LSU, not the because they look. I mean, maybe Miles Brennan is this guy that everyone talks about. It. Um, he's maybe he's that dude, but I, I, there, there's a lot of unknown there and. There's a lot of big shoes to fill. And Jaden Daniels is incredibly talented, already very accurate, already takes care of the football at a really high level, athletic. Just the certainty of that kind of a talent being inserted into an LSU level offense with the LSU level playmakers around him, I think it could certainly not like not miss a beat. Like I'm not saying that, but like it, it would be pretty... It'd be it'd be pretty much a nightmare to stop once again, and it might still be with Miles Brennan. But I, I would I would love to see Jaden Daniels at LSU.
0: I think he would light it up. They still have a lot of weapons there on the outside. Pick four: uh, Oregon Pinay Soil to Clemson. That was via Chris Hummer. Pick five: Kayvon Thibodeau to Alabama. That was me. Uh, pick six: George Karloftis
1: to Oklahoma. That was me. I like that one. That would be it Karloftis. In that OU defense, like Alex Grinch, like they just they they need to they need an ass kicker uh, on the line of scrimmage. They need they need someone that's going to play with relentless effort, uh, affect the line of scrimmage. Uh, I think that's what George Karloftis does, and he's he's kind of got the versatility to to sort of move around in that defense a little bit.
0: My, my concern with them was that like yes, they need pass rush, but they also I don't think they have a, a starting defensive lineman over two eighty five. And their run defense last year was problematic. I think we we, we can call it problematic. Probably fits there. Yeah. <laughs> Sack leader Jalen Redmond arrested for DUI in August, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Ronnie Perkins uh, is out for the first four games. I know they've had a lot of injury problems. You know, I mean, Carloft is twenty run stuff, seventeen tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks. Dude, that's. That's a great fit for both both run run defense and pass defense. So I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, Wyatt Davis to Florida at pick number seven. That was Hummer Journey Brown to Tennessee, the running back from Penn State. That was Charles Power, uh, Walker Little to Georgia. That was you, Stanford offensive lineman.
1: That is that is one of my other favorite picks as my own pick. But to see Walker Little because right tackle is sort of the all the success Georgia's had at offensive line, and then they lose two first rounders at offensive tackle. They lose another future early round draft pick and Cade Mays, who transfers out to Georgia or to Tennessee. Now all of a sudden, not that they're like depleted, but it's just it's it's a little bit of a different look uh, now. All of a sudden, and you know, who steps in in that right tackle spot? Is it going to be a freshman? Is it like what's what does it look like there to to, to if if a guy like walker little stepped in in that spot like that's you know that that's pretty that would be pretty uh fun to watch that's one of the
0: major questions about georgia's team on a personnel basis i mean obviously you have the how will the new offense look basis of questions but walker little makes makes a hell of a lot of sense to me i i like that one a lot uh defensive lineman uh pj mostfer to auburn josh pate obviously auburn needs to replenish a little bit Josh Pate gives uh, Washington corner Elijah Molden to Miami. Miami, uh, they could use another good corner there. That's an interesting one. I thought this was actually really nice. Cam McGrown offering some versatility there to the Texas defense and linebacker has been a problem for them in recent years. That was you. Yeah, uh, and, I, I think I like Cam
1: McGrown is going to be a breakout star this year. Like, if, if you don't know about Cam McGrone, uh, I think you will if you watch Big Ten. If you, well, if you had watched Big Ten football this year. Gotcha.
0: Tanner Morgan to Florida State is an interesting one. Charles Power went here. Uh, I think that, look, I don't think, I know that's an upgrade over James Blackman. I'm not sure it's the move I would have made personally, simply because I, I think they've had the worst two tackles starting in the ACC for two years running. I mean, you could literally just give him any random decent tackle, and I think the upgrade from what they have to that guy, whoever he is, is bigger than the upgrade from Blackman and Morgan, even though Morgan plays a more important position. I mean, you're, you're talking about like basically just improving on a position that is largely unplayable uh, recently. So that, but still, they would be better if, if they had Tanner Morgan for sure, especially uh, because Trevor Purdy uh, broke his collarbone in the uh, in in the script. Is that what the injury
1: Saturday. was? He broke a collarbone.
0: Yeah, it's collarbone. He's he's going to miss at least a month. So yeah, we'll uh that, that pretty much wraps up the job there. For James Blackman. Uh, so he was
1: so 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 Chuba was going to be the top contender, not Rodemaker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Although I heard Rodemaker was okay. They had a bunch of receivers out for the scrimmage. You may have seen uh, that Warren Thompson tweeted out some stuff and then uh, later deleted it and then apologized and then deleted all the social media because he gets to stay on the team. So uh, I think he. I wonder if he thought like other players were going to back him, and then we ended up having other players actually sub subtweet the receiver room. And I was like, "Oh no!" It's kind of like, wait, man. Everybody else got this, but the receivers don't know how to. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, sticking that quarterback Kedon
1: Slovis to TCU. This this one I like a lot. I wasn't I would not feeling this one because really? Max Max Duggan is still going to be like Max Duggan, the quarterback of TCU. He is going like I'm not saying he's better than Keaton Slovis. But that's like a marginal upgrade at a position that that Max Duggan might make a, a huge leap as a sophomore. He was he showed really strong flashes as a freshman, and I I, I don't know. I would have I would have right. gone somewhere else there. So let me ask you this then:
0: you differentiate this from the Jaden Daniels shoe pick because we haven't seen any of Brennan while while we have seen you know some Duggan flashes. Because to Brennan, me, it's kind of the same thing.
1: Well, to me, like there is a, yeah, there's an unknown with Brendan and like the unknown is like, he could just flat out suck. Right. Like he could be, he could be awful. And that, that, that is like, don't get me wrong. I'm not expecting that, but Duggan, like, there's an exciting element to what's going to, what the year two of the progression is going to look like to me. Like I would. I would be disappointed, like as a let's just say as a college football fan, if Keaton Slovis went to TCU, I would be disappointed that I didn't get to see Max Duggan in year two because I think that there's a world in which Max Duggan year two is like a uh, one of the the bigger like breakout stars. I'm also pro Max Duggan. I really
0: like that he was a legitimate four sport guy. Like we 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 see two sport, three sport guys. We don't see a lot of four sport guys. And I, I oh, would do all the more reason to to bet on the, uh, yeah. the the trajectory there. And my thought was like, okay, he's not super polished coming out of Iowa. We saw him at the Elite. yeah, it was Iowa, yeah. Uh, we we saw him at the at eleven, um, and he sh- he had a lot of talent, and he was certainly kind of raw at, at at some stuff. But I was like, well, it's not like the guy's been playing travel seven on seven ball. He's been playing baseball, basketball, and I think it was track, if I remember what what his fourth sport was. So I, I think I'm with you there, but man, I, I like the rest of this TCU team a pretty good bit. If, if Duggan beats out Keaton Slovis, okay, cool. If, if Duggan misses the month with COVID, all right. I mean, sucks for Duggan, but like at, least, at least they have a decent backup there. I, I kind of felt like they pissed away some talent last year because they just got a, a big zero from the quarterback position at times. And they could make some noise in the Big Twelve if, if they if they did get a QB. And maybe it is Duggan. If 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 Duggan plays to his potential, TCU has a pretty good shot to end up in, in the Big Twelve title game.
1: They had some drops last year too at receiver. Yeah. <clears throat> like there's Duggan, yeah, like he made some mistakes, but he also like there were a moment there were some times when he didn't get a lot of help from his his receivers. Like um consistency problem. Like they had explosiveness,
0: sure. but they weren't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they down to down basis, they were not um Yeah, I agree. So this one, I'm not going to say it was forced on me, but it was basically like, hey, UNC is an exciting team. I wanted to pick somebody for UNC, and then basically this was said like, hey, they have to get a DB now because they have three DBs opt out. So they get Thomas Graham from Oregon. uh, Pretty solid pick, I I think. Or uh, UNC's past defense last year. Uh, 82nd nationally, according to Bill Connolly. The glaring weakness on their team was the inability to stop the pass. So getting Thomas Graham there, 10 pass breakups last year on the season, 55 tackles. That's an upgrade. And then this is probably my favorite one because I think it's a great fit. It's an awesome player, and it's going to totally piss off the fan base uh, that he's leaving. Pick 16, I gave Pat Fryermuth, the Penn State tight end, to Pitt. Now, Penn State fans are not really loving this, despite the fact that, of course, Barton—they are
1: not rivals. No, of course not. But Pitt needs, you know, like that would be a beauty of a pick for Pitt because they need, like, they need some reliability in the pass game. And I think they've got some really good freshmen coming in that can help them that regard. And I think Kenny Pickett at quarterback is a pretty good player for Pitt. But if they had some a mismatch like that, that tight end, that'd be—I uh, think that would be that would be pretty nice.
0: And they lost both of their senior tight ends off last year's team, and that's a team too. Like, I just think the fit's so perfect, man. Friar is a guy who can play hand in the dirt. He's not one of these receivers masquerading as a tight end. Yep. Yep. Pitt plays a pro style offense, uh, like they're, been I mean, kind of at least that, like they use an inline blocking tight end. That would be great. Uh, Hummer gave uh, Oklahoma State Oklahoma State Abraham Lucas. I feel like an Oklahoma State offensive lineman transfers every other week. So, this is a pretty solid one to get the Washington State tackle there. Uh, and then to, to round it out, no receivers really gone yet. And then, so we, we saw three to end the draft. South Carolina desperately <laughs> needs a receiver at this point. Charles Power gives them Chris Olave of Ohio State. You gave Tyler Vaughns to Mississippi State, which I think is a really smart pick, USC receiver there. And then another Ohio State guy. Josh Pate gives Garrett Wilson to Kentucky. And I gotta say, finally some receivers, which is cool because it's not like we had any run, any running backs other, other than Journey Brown go. But like I I like all these fits, right? I mean, Olave is a good, like a good volume guy. Tyler Vaughn's is an excellent route runner, who I think would kill it in the air raid at Mississippi State. And then Kentucky, all they run is play action. It's just one on one, like hey, go go deep, go get it, and uh, and and jump forward in the red zone. Hell, if that's not Garrett Wilson, you know I, the fits are
1: great. Mississippi State fans are a little upset that I've got um, them going one in one in nine this year, uh, or one I think it was one in one in ten, one in nine, one, one, yeah, whatever it is, one in nine. Uh, part of the problem is that they just they're like it's not like everyone's learning a new offense and the, and and that is an offense based on repetition and experience. And it's why you can just plug and play every year and expect a Mike Leach offense to be successful, but no one has the repetition. No one has the experience and they didn't have a great group of wide receivers to begin with. And so I think the idea that a guy like Tyler Vaughn's could play at Mississippi state for a year, Give give someone that's got experience in an air raid esque system under Graham Harold, under Graham Harold, um, and and just give them a reliable set of hands for KJ Costello to throw to. Like that would make a world of difference to me. I think I had them
0: two and ten. So I really appreciate you picking them two and nine or a one and nine. So that kind of takes the heat off me there. Uh, let me see what we have. Yeah, I had them. Let me see. I had I had two zero and ten teams. So uh, Arkansas and Vanderbilt. By the way, not not giving Arkansas Vanderbilt on the schedule and not giving Vanderbilt Arkansas on the schedule it's just <laughs> come on SEC. Like you're really kind of setting up to to have these guys go zero and uh, ten because I'm not really sure what winnable games they have uh, on their slate. But yeah, I, I gave Mississippi State two and eight
1: and uh, man. just throwing them to the bolts, just throwing to the wolves, dude. just. Just sacrificing them for the good of the conference—it's brutal.
0: So uh, we also had the CBS Sports 24/7 Sports All America team uh, to discuss, and I figured we shouldn't spoil it and, and reveal everybody. But but I wanted to talk about some of the picks that I made that you didn't make, and some of the picks you made that I didn't make. And this will officially be out on Thursday, so you can check it out on 24/7 Sports.com. I'm sure we will aggregate it six ways from Sunday. So uh, you. Probably will not miss it. This exercise though was tough, dude. I mean, I'm not saying it was impossible, and we do follow these guys as recruits. So I, I think you and I both have some you know projection on there, not just guys who are returning starters. But without the Pac Ten or the Pac 12 and the Big Ten, this really wasn't very easy. And you have some guys in here you're like, damn, this guy's on an all-America team. Like, I like him, he's good, but
1: shit, all America. Yeah. It's uh. I mean, there's a couple position groups that f- that felt very much like an all conference team, uh, for better or worse. Uh, I, you could have, and I tell you what was surprising, and I know you're going to go through the um some of these position by position and and talk about, but like defensive line, which is traditionally a- an SEC dominated position, was I could have made my my defensive line all American team entirely ACC if I wanted to. And I will say that the Big Ten had probably some of the better, and, and Pac-12, frankly, like those are some of the better defensive alignment in the country this cycle. And I also think that the SEC, it's less that the SEC isn't loaded the defense line and more that the SEC, its it's sort of like the next, like the time for the next guys to step up. So this would be the year that those guys make a name for themselves. But in terms of body of work, like without going major off the wall projections, like, you know, the ACC pretty much dominated that defensive line group, which is a little bit like counterintuitive to what a lot of people would envision.
0: So the ACC, to me, usually has good defensive linemen, but the SEC is right on par. I I think the ACC offensive line wise is oftentimes not up to par. And then they have to face, obviously, really good defensive linemen coming out of Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I think. My guess is that we are both going to undershoot the projection on the defensive lineman, and ultimately there will be more SEC guys who emerge. There are a lot of good candidates. I, I think we each have kind of one one projection in there, but my guess is that somebody else will, will emerge too. So QB, of course, I think number one is pretty obvious. For number two, I had Sam Ellinger, and
1: you had Sam Howell. Yeah. My, my thing with Howell is I, I like his receivers and I, and that offense is it's pretty simple offense, but it's going to let that quarterback toss it around. And uh, I just felt like the, um, the table is set for him to have uh, uh, to, to really build on that freshman year. I,
0: honestly, I had Hal three and I, I, I think I had what Purdy four, uh in,
1: in in this one so i toyed with purdy in that spot um i mean the big 12's got a few good options you could even i mean you could even again talk about projections spencer rattler yeah is is not a bad bad bet either
0: it's almost risky to not put oklahoma's quarterback on yeah. the list in some ways
1: yeah uh running
0: back pretty much all the same uh you had hawkins out of louisville i i had Najee harris but uh overall uh, the groups you know pretty much the same there I considered Hawkins. I assume you considered Najee.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, Najee was the one I got bumped out. Actually, when, uh, yeah, Najee got bumped out. He was, he was my number five guy.
0: I had Sage Surratt at receiver. You had George Pickens kind of SEC Homer or ACC Homer there on my part. I'm sure. Uh, George Pickens, I think is a really good projection by you. If, if Georgia has a good offensive team this year, he's probably going to be a major part of it.
1: Um, he had over seven hundred yards receiving as a true freshman at Georgia last year, with, and and didn't even wasn't even really like a starter through most of the year, and that like that's that's a huge number even in typical circumstances for Georgia receivers. Like if if somehow they get this season done and they get a, a full ten games in, there's a we could be looking up at George Pickens having one of the best seasons of any georgia receiver in in a long time because you know you, you i don't know when the last time there was a thousand yard receiver georgia like did aj green
0: get a thousand i he almost had to right
1: i don't even know i don't even, wow. I don't even like, i'm not even like i'm not confident in that now, maybe i'll look it up and i'll feel like an idiot but like there's not it, it happened very often
0: tight end Obviously, we both had Kyle Pitts. You had Charlie Kohler. I had Brevin Jordan out of Miami. My thought on Brevin Jordan was basically Miami's quarterback room last year was an absolute just train wreck, and he still had a pretty nice year. You know, if if they get competent quarterback play and a little bit better offensive coaching, I I think Jordan could blow up. But Kohler was my three. So not a not a ton of disagreement there.
1: AJ Green did not top a thousand yards wow. in his career. And
0: they still to- let Mark Rick coach like several years. I mean, he was after close.
1: He was close. He went 963, 808, 848. Didn't he have some injuries maybe like in one of those years, but still, how do you not uh, have the, A.J. His, Green 1, his, years? his junior year, he only played nine games. So I guess he was banged up that year. I mean,
0: Calvin Johnson had Reggie freaking ball throw him the ball consistently at Georgia <sighs> Tech. And I'm sure he still got a thousand. So, yeah. Offensive line, we are like in total lockstep with one exception. I have Jackson Carmen of Clemson. And you have uh, Liam Eichenberg. So um, honestly, I, I I had him. I think I had him at like eight. I forgot who I had at seven, though. So not a ton of disagreement there. Yeah, D line, we have some disagreement for sure.
1: D line was tough.
0: D line was tough. It involved some projections. So our first three are, are the same. You'll, you'll be able to see those in the article. Uh, my next three are actually different than, than your next three. Mm-hmm. I have Christian Barmore, Alabama, Jordan Smith of UAB, Darius Stills of West Virginia. You had Chris Rump of Duke, Tyler Shelvin, LSU, and Trevon Walker of Georgia. And when you said, when you told me Trevon Walker, I was like, damn it. Like, that's the guy that I I've forgot to put on there. I, I, I think I'd rather have him over Darius Stills.
1: I think the other guy that I would be, if, if you're talking projection, that I'd be very tempted to put on an All American team would be. DeMarvin Leal from, uh, Texas A&M. A&M. Yeah. You know, that's, that's someone that won't be on a lot of all American teams. Cause he, he was banged up beginning of his true freshman year last year. It took him a while to get rolling, but I still think the, like if we're, if, if, yeah, I mean, I think that guy's going to be a, going to be a monster. Did you think about big cat Brian at all? I did. Yeah. He was, yeah. he was, uh, he was under consideration for me for sure.
0: Just not not a ton of production, but but the 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 frame and athleticism has always been kind of kind of intriguing. Uh, We both kind of have one SEC breakout candidate. Like I don't know if do you consider Tyler Shelvin a breakout guy? I think he's just kind of a next step dude.
1: Yeah, he's I think he's 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 already kind of broken out to me to to a degree.
0: Um, Linebacker almost exactly the same. I had uh, Joseph Asai of Texas and and, uh, uh, KJ Britt. Uh, or excuse me, uh, Rayshard Ashby of Virginia Tech. You had uh, Chaz Surratt and Henry uh, Toto. God, I, what, how do we say this kid's name? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Toto. Toto, yeah. All right. Uh, not a ton of disagreement there, I guess. I mean, the, the starters, I think, as you guys will see, are probably pretty unanimous. Now, corner, I do want to talk about because I, I think corner was was very tough. There, there are about seven dudes who I think you could probably put on the, on the corner list. So we we both agreed on, on the top two. I'm sure they're pretty obvious to y'all. But then I had Eric Stokes of Georgia and Israel Mukumau, uh of South Carolina. You had Darion Kendrick of Clemson and Aaron Robinson of UCF. And yet there's probably a couple more guys that we could consider too. This is a position that's pretty stacked, man. Like it was not an amazing year in the Big Ten and Pac-12 at corner. I think this is kind of what the, this exercise shows.
1: Yeah, Um and I was, I, I kind of like I was saying before the, before we jumped on here, I kind of like your picks better than mine for the second two. Um, there, and there's even like in, um, I don't know, like you could make a, you could also make a projection with some of those Texas guys, you know, does Jalen Green finally have his year? Um, does, you know, I, but I think SEC is, I mean, JC horns. Another one I kind of looked at from South yep. Carolina too. Like there's, there's a lot of pretty good options out of the sec.
0: Safety's kind of stacked too, man. Like there's a lot of guys who, who I would really want on, on my team if I was doing a draft type thing. The one, the one that we had, that we actually differed on. I, I had a Astral Dean. Uh, now we're finding out he, he's still banged up for, from, uh, I believe from his ACL surgery. So we'll see how long he's out of Florida state safety there. Uh, you had Kyle Hamilton, of Notre Dame, who I actually think is is a both already a, a very solid player and yet somebody. It's not I it, I don't even know if it's a bold projection to think he's going to blow up. I think it's just kind of like inside of twenty four seven sports, we assume it's going to happen.
1: I think Kyle Hamilton is is on this pacing to be like a top ten overall draft pick as a safety. Like I think he is like when you watched him play last year they basically reconfigured the defense to just to try to get three safeties on the field because he was just that good and um because they had two pretty good safeties already and he just he just he's a presence man he's huge he's he's physical is all out and I, i i think that dude is a monster
0: dude awesome uh let's do kicker punter no just kidding uh we're we're gonna wrap this up here we are almost at an hour and we'll be back next episode with our listener appreciation 500 five-star reviews mailbag so we'll talk to y'all then